Warp Core Go Burr. Hello and welcome to Chaotic Creations, a podcast where we take weird prompts and make weird Star Trek Adventures characters. I'm Harper, your lawful nerdy paladin. And I'm Darby, your chaotic tired bard. And welcome to our 22nd episode. And Darby, is there anything that you are dying to tell our listeners? Yes, I am dying to tell you, our listeners, that you can help support us by buying dice from Die Hard Dice. We love all of their dice and how much care they put into sending their products to people. We're really proud to be Die Hard Dice affiliates. While you're on their website, dieharddice.com, check out the Nightingale RPG set. It's really beautiful, and if you buy it during the month of February, you can help support us directly. Yes, and as a special gift to our listeners, you can use the code CHAOSFEB to get 10% off of your total order on Die Hard's site. So go to dieharddice.com, check out the Nightingale RPG set, and use our code CHAOSFEB to save 10% off your order. In other news, Harper and I guested on Agents of Damned in their special Valentine's Day episode. Darby and I play Violet and Ongrod Gwilt, a pair of married secret agents and game show contestants. It was a lot of fun to record with the Agents of Damned crew, and we hope that you'll give that episode a listen. Be sure to catch that episode this Friday, February 19th on the Agents of Damned podcast. Speaking of Friday, that is the day that the very first episode of Hidden Magics releases. Hidden Magics is the first actual play Dungeons & Dragons campaign that we are hosting and we could not be more excited. We've got quite the cast of TTRPG players from around the community to both appear as regular cast members and guests. Yes, Darby is one of those players, and I will be your fearless dungeon master. So join us at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on twitch.tv slash chaoticpod for the first episode of Hidden Magics. But before we get there, we need to do today's episode. And Darby, our guest today is none other than Anita, the founder and leader of the Critical Misses Twitch channel. Yes, you, our listeners, may be familiar with Anita, as Anita hosts Morning Ritual and is a player on Under a Pale Cold Sun, both things that Harper and I have been in. And today, she is walking us through how to create a character in the Star Trek Adventures TTRPG system. I know very little about Star Trek, so this will be fun. Well then, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So today on the podcast, we have the critical miss herself. We have Anita. Anita, how are you doing today? I'm well. How about you? Just sort of keeping busy today. It's a Monday afternoon. That's what day it is. Yeah. Is today a Monday? They all blur together. Yes. (laughs) It's a Monday and it's a holiday here, so I've doubly lost track of time. (laughs) Nice. Honestly, days of the week seem like a myth to me at this point. Time is soup, I found. Mm-hmm. Uh, some sort of cosmic soup. Yes, and not all soups are good. It's true. Coffee's a bad soup. Yes. Technically speaking, uh, a soy vanilla latte is a three-bean soup. My favorite. And Anita, for uh, listeners to our podcast who may not be familiar, uh, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Anita, or Panita, or Critical Misses uh, in most places. I am a TTRPG streamer, uh, and I am the founder and, I guess, leader? I don't know? 
of the Critical Misses uh, Twitch channel. Um, it was a channel that I made it as an inclusive space for folks who want to learn how to play RPGs, but not really know where to start. And it includes us. Yeah, because you're all on the channel too. Uh, this is going to be, this is weird because I'm recording something in advance. It's going to be airing on my channel later. That is true. You have something you want to say to the people now listening on Twitch? Hi, Twitch. I really don't know. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm extraordinarily tired like I am in most places, but you caught me on a, on a very good day today. That's good. Well, Anita, I have to ask, uh, what first got you into tabletop role-playing games? Ooh, so I started playing D&D uh, in 3.5 back when I was in high school. But prior to that, I had uh, some online friends who were into role-playing games and D&D who would like tell me all about the games that they play in. And I'd be like, I want to be there. I want to do that. I want to play those games. But uh, I was also like a really nerdy, introverted kid too. I was an indoor kid, despite living like in a really small town. And like, I'd go wander the woods and basically I'd write fantasy stories ever since I was like super, super little. And I'd just sneak out of my house at like one in the morning and not get eaten by cougars somehow. And just wander the woods and write stories about being a fantasy heroine. and. Then I found out about Dungeons and Dragons and I really wanted to start ha learning how to play it. And my high school boyfriend and a bunch of his friends played. And so, of course, obviously, I'm only playing because my boyfriend was playing. That's the only reason why, mm -hmm. as you know, uh, that is the only reason why women or femmes play RPGs is because, you know, the mans do it. So you have to do it, too. Where's your boyfriend? Like, <laughs> I'm like you can't just show up without him. I know. That's just wild. That doesn't really happen. But yeah, ended up dumping the boyfriend, but still keeping my love of the games. Uh, and uh, now I've built and, and it became my personality and is now my entire life. So hey, wild how that works. Honestly, worst things you could have picked to base your personality around. It's true. I pretend to be people on the internet. It's wild. I feel like everybody on the internet is pretending to be someone. It's just that TTRPG people are honest about it. That's true. That's true. There is a certain level of honesty that comes with the fact that uh, who you see as me on screen is not really going to be my personality most times, 9 out of 10. And like, we've had chats, we've talked like at length. You have a fairly good gauge of who I am behind the internet persona. Mm -hmm. But I mean, everyone, regardless of who they are or what they do on the internet will always give not a false version of themselves, but an idealized version of themselves, I found, at least. But like the good ones, the really good ones are the people that are generally the same in front of the screen and behind the screen. Like I know you and Darby and Harper are like both really nice and genuine people. And I could see, I could see that, uh, that Darby is like starting to cringe because... I know the weakness that is genuine compliments and love. See, the secret is that Darby and I are almost exactly the same in public and in private. It's just that we are both even more awkward in private. I get weirder in private. That is the mood. That is the mood. Mm -hmm. That is how I live my life, generally. <laughs> like, this whole confidence that you see here, it's not there most of the time. It's really not. I'm a giant nerd. So I feel like that kind of segues into my next question for you, Anita, which is what's your favorite thing about TTRPGs? I love collaborative storytelling. Um, I like being able to be invested in a world or in a universe that 
you can tell your own stories in and you can add so much to a narrative together as people. I love that. I started Critical Misses to sort of go back uh, as a actual play. Um, so we would meet in the basement where this pub was that we, at my hometown, it's Dickens. We used to meet in the basement there once a month um, and we would play D&D. And it was an inclusive space for people who wanted to learn how to art play RPGs without having any idea how. So we started at level one every session we'd level up and scale from there. Uh, we did about 13 of these before the world shut down, as you are well aware. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had to take it online. But I started it because I wanted more people to tell stories with. I did an interview with a local radio station a couple years ago after I had started for International Women's Day. And one of the things that I said in the interview that I cringe at, but I was told is actually quite nice, is that many voices make a great choir. I love that. Oh. Which I've also been told is a very Yenna thing to say. Like my uh, Yeah, comes. that is. I was about to say Yenna. <laughs> I wanted more people to play games and tell stories with because it can only be improved by having more voices in the choir. It's almost a requirement. Hey. Oh my god. Someone's gotta sing your praises. Mm, yeah. It's all going according to plan. The pun was a little bit cheap though because he kind of bought it for a song. But I'm not going to get in trouble because of it, you know? Yeah. Although we uh, might get just a little bit of flack uh, for all of the puns that we're trying to go with here. This is the second week in a row where it's just been a riff of them. Puns, 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 But, I mean, it's definitely something that, like, we, I mean, as you know, we've talked about it. Darby and I absolutely share that perspective. It's one of the things we talked about on this podcast before, that your table only gets better as you add seats to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a diversity of out-of-game perspective leads to a more interesting story in-game. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Because there are perspectives that you don't even consider. Um, I am a non-binary but still white queer person. And I know that my perspective is just flavored by the fact that I am a white person. There are a lot of things that I don't consider that uh, people of color don't consider or people of other marginalized identities don't. Like, everyone has blind spots. And when you all come together at a table, you're all sharing in your own perspectives and you can see how other people can think and feel about things. Especially when you're blessed as we are when we get to be at a table with you to be at a table with gifted role players. Not only seeing the perspectives that they bring, but the characters that they choose to play and how they choose to play them. I mean, I've gotten to see you play at least a half dozen different characters at this point, and all of them are so unique and different. But all of them are based a little bit in me. Like, every single character that I've played has always had a little bit of me. The first character that I played, which I think might get into your next question, is my favorite character that mm -hmm. I've made, is my wild magic sorceress, Odd Briarwalker. And she is the personification of my ADHD. She is no impulse control. She is living in the moment and, like, ready to just get into it. So there's that. Yenna is the more reserved portions of me, the portions of me that are shyer or will keep to themselves to keep themselves safe. 
because the world is a dangerous place. But uh, Tay is also sort of that same sort of mode where it's like, the world's pretty scary. I have to deal with the fact that eventually I'm not going to be here. How, what good can I make in the world until that point comes? And then Genevieve is sort of an experiment in how do I go forward and still be me after the bad things have happened, right? So every character that I play is distinct in like that, but they're all rooted in feelings that I have and perspectives that I have on things. Oh, absolutely. It's really difficult to make a character that's entirely divorced from yourself. Oh, no. It's something that I used to say. I don't really anymore since starting this podcast. We've made some truly wild characters. But when I think about every character that I've made that I have the intention of playing, what I've said is that every character is a little bit of a self-portrait. They're all different angles. Yeah. And even if you're like, oh, I'm going to make a character that is like, so different from me like that is a sort of reflection of yourself that's you not wanting to be you a little bit right you're still in the lens of yourself and how you view this character exactly because even when it's specifically not yourself it's still the parts of yourself that you don't see or the parts of yourself that you want to experience yeah Mm -hmm. if that makes sense it's like the the negative like the photo negative like it's the empty space but the empty space will still show like the outline of you right yes definitely yeah 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 yeah. so anita we are doing something a little different on chaotic creations today and you are going to be teaching darby and i how to make characters in a different system today yes and that is the star trek adventures tabletop system correct correct um it is by modifius uh it is my absolute favorite game system. Uh, I adore it so much. Why don't you give us just a little bit of background on the system as a whole, whatever you can tell us about it. Um, So it is a 2d20 system. uh, And the point is to roll low, not roll high. Um, You have uh, on your character sheet, you have two bars of stats. Um, There is control, uh, fitness, presence, daring, insight, and reason. Um, Those are your attributes. And then you have disciplines. So your disciplines are your basic, say, think of Dr. McCoy or Spock. Each of these characters is in a different department on the ship and is knowledgeable in different things. So, for example, you have command, uh, security, science, con, engineering, and medicine. For your six basic attributes, your control is how controlled you are, how uh, able you are to like carefully aim and fire uh, phaser, that sort of thing, or how cool you are under pressure and able to give commands. That's your command discipline. Fitness, obviously, is like how fighty you are, how strong you are, how well you can run in a high-risk situation. Presence is uh, sort of uh, your how you carry yourself, um, how you uh, speak, that sort of thing. Daring is when you've got like that cocky attitude and you're willing to throw the first punch um, and do something risky for the sake of a potential reward. Insight is obviously any person that knows Dungeons and Dragons uh, knows that your insight is your ability to to read into a situation. That's pretty well uh, self-explanatory. And the last one is reason. Um, That's your uh, mental stat. That's uh, how well you can think through a situation, how well you can deduce a mystery, that sort of thing. But then your disciplines, uh, command is uh, your 
uh, ability to command uh, people, be it the ship or that sort of thing. Uh, security is obviously like tied to your fighty stats. It's uh, shooting phasers. Uh, it's the double axe handle that Kirk can do. Uh, science uh, is self-explanatory as well. So is medicine and engineering because those are basic people that do basic things. And then con is your ability to fly the ship or fly or pilot anything or also use a computer, that sort of thing. So when you have your 2d20, uh, you roll and you want to roll low because if you take any of the attributes, you add them to the disciplines and anything that gets under that number is a success. A one is a crit, which counts for two successes. A 20 is a failure with a complication. So if you fail on a 20, bad things will happen. Fun. Exactly. As a GM in this game, uh, you have a pool of something that's called threat that you can use to make their lives a little bit more complicated to begin with. You can make the threshold for failure higher, so you can make it so that you fail on an 18, 19, or a 20 if you spend a threat. Conversely, the players have something called momentum that they can use to buy extra dice to get more successes. Uh, and if you get successes over the threshold for what um, is required of you, uh, so say uh, the GM, I the GM tell you that you need to make me a uh, make me a, a fitness plus security role to shoot this Klingon. You're going to roll your 2d20. The GM tells you up front what your difficulty is. I'm going to say that it's a difficulty three roll, which means that you need to get three successes. You are only rolling two dice, but if you spend a point of momentum, then you can get an extra die. And if you have a specialty, like say phasers, you would add an additional d20. No, as a matter of fact, when you have a specialty, say phasers, you can take the number that is on your security. Uh, for example, if say it's a four, you crit on a four, a three, a two, or a one. Oh, okay. Wow. Which okay. means that you would get two successes if you have that specialty in mind. Wow. Interesting. All right. I like it. And... Darby and I have varying knowledge of Star Trek lore, by which I mean I've watched some Star Trek and Darby has watched none. So we may have questions for you at some point uh, throughout this character creation. I watched the movie. I'm ready. I've watched all of them. Uh, but my first one is where do we start? What's the first thing we need to choose? Okay. So to make it a little bit easier, we are going to be using the character creator that is on the website, which makes it a little bit easier for you to do. Usually when you're doing character creation for this, you're doing it with your GM and the rest of your players as part of a session zero, because you're basically building the crew for your ship. We're just going to use the core rules for this. There's a lot of other supplements, but I think we can just use the core rules just to make it a little bit easier. What century era? What era? Yeah, exactly. That's the first thing you ask is what era are we playing this game in? And as a group, generally, you decide this together. Um, so you have your Enterprise era, which is, uh, that's the one that is Jonathan Archer and the crew of the very first Enterprise, which was the series that aired in the early 2000s. So that one had uh, Scott Bakula and a little bit of a slow start, if we're being honest, picks mm -hmm. up near the middle. And then they kind of didn't really know what to do with the series. And they, nah. Yeah, uh, the ending for it is controversial. I'm not going to get into it. So then you have your original series, which is Kirk, Spock, Bones. You know the crew. You know the classic Enterprise from the 60s. Mm -hmm. Then you have Next Generation, obviously, which is Picard and Data and Riker and like the crew of the USS Enterprise. Is that Will Wheaton's character as well? Is he in this? Yeah, Will Wheaton uh, was in there as well in Next Generation. So 
here's the question. Which era do you think we're going to play in? I will say the one that I know best is the original series. Okay. We can do original series. We can go classic. Okay. That's probably where Darby and I will be able to make our most of our references for Star Trek. So let's go there. All right. So yeah, we'll do the original series, uh, which means that we are playing in the mid 23rd century. Um, and we are going to make Starfleet personnel. Woo. Okay. So the options that we have here, we can select species. We can also have uh, mixed species. So Spock, for example, is a human Vulcan hybrid. So uh, as a mixed species, Spock can pick traits from Vulcans and traits from humans as well, because uh, each race sort of has its own things that are it's good at, things that it knows, that sort of thing. So like Vulcan nerve pinch or or uh, Trill, who are usually in the later series, have a symbiote that they uh, live with that gives them the generational knowledge of every single person that has bore that symbiote before them. So you have lifetimes of experience based on the memories of the people that have had this thing inside them before. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can select species, but because we're doing um, original series, our options are limited to Andorian, Denobulan, Human, Romulan, Tellarite, Trill, and Vulcan. Now Romulans, generally, they're the bad guys in this. I remember the first movie that came out. I think it was that guy who played the Hulk once was the main actor for the Romulans. Are you referring to the 2009 Star Trek that mm-hmm. came out? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we're talking Kelvin timeline, which is what that is. The reason why it's called the Kelvin timeline is because the uh, USS Kelvin encounters the Romulans and that's where Kirk's dad is. And it changes the entire timeline. Mm-hmm. It's an alternate universe. It's an alternate universe. Yep. I like Andorians. Why do you like Andorians? What's special about them? Okay, so Andorians come from an ice planet. Um, they are blue-skinned, usually white hair. They have antenna. Uh, they are very, they are very proud race, honorable race. Um, they rely on not necessarily the specific code of honor that that you would see from uh, Klingons, but they they have a code that they like to follow, sort of thing. Uh, Closest thing you can think of is like a, a paladin would be like a good, an Andorian would make a good paladin. They have a strong sense of duty and honor. We also have Denobulans, uh, which you, you see in their first appearance. You don't really see them that much in, you don't see them at all really in the original series, but in Enterprise, uh, the doctor is a Denobulan. Uh, and Denobulans are interesting because they have, each family unit has three husbands and three wives, and each of the three husbands have three wives and that sort of thing. It's like mm-hmm. this, it's a whole polycule that uh, is quite interesting. Humans, we all know stock humans. They are you and me. Tellarites, the one that I like to use most for Tellarites are, they're space dwarves. They're space dwarves. They're stocky, good engineers, usually hang out around warp core. Trill uh, are the ones that I mentioned before. They usually be either joined or unjoined Trill, which means they would have a symbiont that their past lives would inform how they behave as a person. And then there's obviously Vulcan, which is your Mr. Spock, live long and prosper, uh, space elves, that sort of thing. I'm personally, because I know very little about Star Trek in general, I'm kind of drawn to the Trill, just personally. I love Trill. I like the idea of like you have like your own personal like oral history that like dates back to back, 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 back. You 
remember everything because there is a slug in your belly that has its own memories and it has all the memories of all the hosts. That gives me, uh, did you ever read the Animorphs books when you were younger? That gives me big Yerk vibes. It is a little bit Yerky. Spoiler for the Animorphs series. A series that came out many, many decades ago? Yeah, I I know. So, so Yerks are a parasitic race, but there is a species that appears later in the books that at one point there was a Yerk-like race, which are parasitic, take over a person's body and can control it. Um, however, there was a Yerk-like race that became non-parasitic and actually became symbiotic with another species. Yes, this is this is a symbiotic relationship. This isn't necessarily a parasitic relationship. You still, if you have a trill, if you have the symbiont inside you, you are still you. You just are informed by the past experiences of the symbiont and they're what they know. Your personality does change slightly, but not so much off of the base that you had to begin with. Body horror warning in order to have the symbiont there's a surgery that's involved. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, for those of you who are fans of the Animorphs, the Iskort are the species I was talking about. That the Isk and the Yort became basically symbiotic species. And the Yort were like the Yerks. Interesting. Wow. That's I entirely forgot about that avenue of knowledge in my head until just now. It also reminds me of the, the other Stephanie Myers book, Host. The Host, mm, where it's like uh, the yeah. alien... And they like live different lives and they just sort of like they're like i'm here now i'm now you but then they like develop a sim- i guess this is a spoiler for stephanie myers the host if you <laughs> ever read that or watch that movie like they develop the symbiotic relationship between the two of them they're like oh you know it's possible to have a relationship and like operate in the same body that's possible still weird I'm kind of liking Trill because normally when we think about aliens and host bodies, we do think about parasites and things taking over. So I like that it's a symbiotic relationship and I like that it's a boon. All right, we can do a Trill. I'm sure there's a trillion ways we can make this character. A. Uh, as a Trill, um, it means that every single base stat that you get on your character sheet will start off at seven. And then as you develop the character and uh, go through the career path in the character creation, you will add more things to it. It is a little daunting because, as we well know from Vampire the Masquerade, Modiphius books are beautifully laid out, aesthetically so pleasing. I love them to death, but I wish they were better organized. So that's why I use the character creator. If you ever want to just flip through the book, it's like, yeah, here's 473 pages, not including expansions. There are some games that are very easy for beginners at tabletop games to teach themselves. Mm -hmm. Games like... Star Trek Adventures and Vampire the Masquerade are not those games. Those, it really helps to have a person who knows the system walk you through it. Yeah. Yes. Which is why we're so happy to have you here. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Um, So we are a trill, which means that control, presence, and reason go up by one to eight. Um, trill are resistant, resilient to parasites because they have a parasite inside them. Join trill are entirely immune to it. However, they do tend to have strong allergies to insect bites or other forms of venom, which can affect their neurochemistry, particularly if they're joined. So we've decided that we want to make a join trill, correct? Yes. Yes. Which um, that is going to be under the talents. That's going to be the first talent that we select is a joined trill. Okay. And how many talents do we get to select? So you will get four talents. There's going to be some fun things that we get to do. 
once we keep going, I'll, sh I'll explain them as we go. So we'll continue on to the next step, which is our environment. Basically, we go all the way through this character's life, where they grew up, what happened to them when they joined the Academy, what did they encounter on the first ship that they were on, how did they react to this, and what did they learn from these things? So it's very organic how they lay out the character creation for it. So for example, we can select the environment where this trill grew up. So either home world, an isolated colony, a starship or a starbase, um, a frontier colony or a busy colony. And that informs the kind of disciplines that you're... It informs the attributes and the disciplines that you get. Okay. Okay. Darby, I'm going to be honest. Uh-huh. All of this talk is making me think of my favorite space-based video game, which is Mass Effect, because I love space adventure and space operas. I, I, I adore them. A franchise I don't know anything about. <laughs> so there is a species of alien in Mass Effect called the Quarians. Mm -hmm. And the Quarian no longer have access to their home world, and they live entirely on starships that are basically roving colonies that their entire civilization lives on these starships. I understand that's not the backstory for the Trill as a species, but it, I do love the concept of living your entire life on a ship. So you think starship or starbase? I think so. I think that that's just a really interesting in terms of like when you consider your home world where you come from to think of it as a ship is interesting psychologically for me. What's it like growing up with a sky? <laughs> I'd also think that would work kind of well for someone who is a joint trill who might have adverse allergic reactions to like bug bites or things like not necessarily wanting to go to planets that mm -hmm. might have bug bites and things that they may have never encountered before. And they're like, I don't know how my body will react to these things. <laughs> The Quarian from Mass Effect literally have to wear environmental hazard suits everywhere because they don't oh, have any. Wait, is it... It's Tally uh, Zora, Vas Normandy. The one with the mask? Yes. Yeah, because they literally have no immunities to anything. Yeah, we could do a starship or a starbase, which means that our control and insight will go up and command, con, and engineering. Both of them will go up or only one? We get either control or insight can go up by one. Mm -hmm. And then for our disciplines, we get to select. One from command, con, or engineering. What are we trying to make here? What kind of character are we trying to make? What career path do you think we're going to try and go on? Hmm. I'd imagine someone who lives their entire life on a ship would know how to fly a ship. Like, so we can make a pilot? When I'm thinking of a ship, I'm not thinking like a... Yeah, I'm not thinking like a small ship. I'm thinking like... You remember in Doctor Who, there was like that one episode in the early times of Matt Smith's mm -hmm. where it's the entirety of the UK yeah. just mm -hmm. on, a, on a ship. Yeah huge yeah so if we're thinking a pilot someone who could fly a ship um we're gonna want control and we're gonna want con i think so what do you think harps uh no i agree i think that someone who grew up on a ship and knows how to pilot it but then it's like they go to the academy join starfleet and they have to learn how to pilot other kinds of ships yeah and i like to think that for them they feel more at home on a ship than they do planet side so they probably feel really weird at the academy here we go it's also kind of an incentive for engineering too because always my favorite characters is like like ship rats essentially where those like mm -hmm. i live on this ship i know every nook and cranny like oh like 
we can't figure out why the engine is like whistling like this and they just turn the knob like a half degree to the left and it's like you just know you just need to know how to talk to the ship like it's fine my favorite thing though is that like a lot of times when you see like starship pilots like oh i just wanted to go live be amongst the stars and this character's been amongst the stars their entire life so that's not necessarily their motivation for being a pilot their motivation is like the pilot is the one who like has control over the safety and well-being of the entire ship and everyone on it because they are the one who keeps the ship out of danger mm-hmm. and the pilot stays on the ship it's probably also like pilot stays uh-huh. on ship like pilot doesn't need to leave ship here is another beautiful thing about this as part of character creation you also get to instill core values into your character that you can call upon to be able to succeed on a roll or to be able to re-roll um, actually, I think you can use it to get an extra die. Anyways, so as part of this grabbing your character, you actually have to add a value at this stage. Um, now, this value should reflect the environment and the culture that your character was raised in. This is a good opportunity to consider how the character views their own culture, how they connect or possibly don't connect to the philosophies and traditions of their people. So as someone who is raised by a ship, you could say something like, I know my ships or a ship is my home to reflect that. I will make sure that I protect this ship. I will make sure that I protect the people that are on this ship. And I know this ship like the back of my hand. Yeah. 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 I like that. You write a brief sentence. And then when it comes down to it, you can say things like, uh, for example, John Luke Picard was kidnapped by the Borg and became Lacutus. And one of his core values is haunted by the Borg. Mm -hmm. So anytime that John Luke will encounter the Borg, he needs to... He generally freaks out, but eventually he challenges that value. And when you challenge a value that is a negative value, you can cross it off if you succeed in like working through that trauma or working through that value. You can cross it off challenging that value and you can use it to your advantage, but you have to write in a new value afterwards. Mm. So, for example, my trauma does not define me or no longer haunted by the Borg. I'm thinking maybe something like ships are my home world yeah harper i think you briefly mentioned something like i'm gonna protect the ship and all the people on it and like mm-hmm. that's what it hmm, for no reason in particular sparked my mind towards this concept of zinia it was a greek concept of hospitality it's like a rule of hospitality when someone comes into your home of how you're supposed to behave there's like protection there's like material benefits where the guests will give the host like a series of gifts gifts and the host will then in turn provide protection and like a place to stay with no no further motivation beyond like this is just something you do and like that that concept is like you do not destroy that concept because like to to violate that rule is to go against to go against zeus himself and so like in the odyssey when you know the suitors are in odysseus's house and like i guess Spoiler alert for the Odyssey. <laughs> yes, spoiler alert for this thousands-year-old story that was written on clay tablets. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. The suitors violate that that principle of Xenia, and that's why when Odysseus comes home, he is well within his right to murder all of them and that the gods don't help them. That the gods see that they have violated this principle, and they're like, yeah, it's time to die. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So... This ship is my home and it is protected. 
It makes me think of, to make another reference that's old, um, there is a village in France um, called, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation because I don't speak French, uh, Le Chambon sur Lignon, and it is a uh, city that since its founding has practiced what we would now understand is basically radical hospitality. Mm-hmm. And uh, because that that had always been what they did, they always opened their doors to anyone. They actually saved thousands of Jews during the Holocaust when the Holocaust came to France because they were they were like, well, of course we will welcome we people into our homes and hide them. This is what we do. There is no question about this. Mm-hmm. So like the idea of just like, well, of course this person is welcome and of course they will be protected while they are within my boundaries. Like. And if you go cross that line, I'm within my rights to just make your entire life. Your entire life is forfeit. Mm-hmm. So now that we have that value, the ship is my home and it is protected. So we can click on upbringing. This is, these are the people that raised this character that we're making. Um, it is the surroundings and whether or not they embraced their family traditions or rebelled against them. I wonder why would someone spend their entire life on a ship, right? Who brings their child and is like, I, we're on this ship always. We're never doing anything else. I kind of wonder, is it a Starfleet ship or is it not a Starfleet ship? So canonically speaking, sorry, I'm going to put nerd glasses on because I- No, do it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Canonically speaking, families weren't generally allowed on starships until Mm -hmm. the next generation era because you'd have massive ships uh, like the USS Enterprise that is literally like a floating city. The USS Enterprise housed uh, families with like parents and children. There was a daycare. There is a school on the ship. So generally, timeline-wise, it's usually not until about that era that that happens. But there are other reasons why you could be on a ship, why you could be on a colony ship. Your your parents could be traitors. Um, Your parents could be diplomats. Uh, Your parents could be researchers that are exploring the frontier and trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe. For example, in Voyager, uh, Seven of Nine, uh, or as she was known before she was co-opted by the Borg, Annika Hansen, her parents were scientists and she lived on a ship. She grew up on the USS Raven and they went off towards the Delta Quadrant to try and discover the rumors that they had heard about these species so that they, they were anthropologists that wanted to study the Borg. Didn't work out well for them, but that's the reason why they were out there. I wonder then if science and technology, like... I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, because, like, it'd be funny if they were just, like, part of the reason why they got the experience of, like, flying ships. is like, they're just, like, test piloting all these, like, new... They're, like, test pilot. And they're, like, yeah, good. <laughs> like, I understand ships better than a lot of other people. I also love the idea that, like, coming from a species that is based around prior knowledge, mm-hmm. that they are always seeking new knowledge. That they're not just content to sit with the knowledge that they have, they feel the need to add on to what their symbiote knows. So here's the thing about the trill. Not all trills are joined. In fact, there's only a limited number of symbionts. So mm-hmm. if you are gifted with a symbiote, you it's almost like you are being blessed because there are only about several thousand of these things compared to how many trill there are there's trillions of them several billion trill yes trillions of them even perhaps um but there's only a limited number of symbionts so in order to have received one either you would have to have been on a ship when that trill died and then it had to get transferred because when the host dies with the symbiont inside it the symbiont dies too so it has to get moved 
to a new vessel. Okay, so hear me out here. Perhaps our character is one of the few Trill aboard the ship. Maybe their parents and them are actually the only Trill, and both of their parents are joined. One of their parents is about to die, and it needs to. And the other parent can't take on the symbiote, the the symbiote, they because have they one. already have one, and so it gets passed on by necessity to our trill. And that has happened in canon. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So science and technology. Are we thinking? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the parents are researchers, and they came seeking knowledge. Did our character accept or rebel? Your stats change depending on what you choose. It would make sense for them to accept, kind of based off of the character we're thinking of right now. How weird would it be to be a joined trill when your parent was the previous host? So weird. Ah, (laughs) your parents giving birth to you. Yeah, you'd remember your conception and birth. That's an interesting and like memories are also tinged with perception so you'd know everything about what your parents thought about you prior to their death oh so do we want to maybe think rebel especially after they got joined oh i wonder if maybe they i wonder if they were rebel and then became accept after being joined or the other way around like maybe they always thought one thing became joined and it completely shifted their perspective did they want the symbiote uh if it was uh if it was an accident if something happened to one of the parents then it would probably be uh not necessarily uh, it would be a necessity not by choice i'm reminded of from another series spoiler alert for warehouse 13 but in this show there's like a keeper of this warehouse um who like lives forever basically her their connection to the warehouse gives them infinite knowledge as to what's in it, um, the health of the warehouse, and also an infinite lifespan as long as the warehouse still exists. And there's this moment where they're like, she's going to die, but we need to transfer that connection to someone else. Otherwise this warehouse will die as well. Like you're the only person they like pointed at this girl who's like maybe 20. And they're like, it has to be you. Like you're going to be the future keeper. We're doing this right now. And she was just like, I don't want this. And they're like, you don't really have a choice. Like mm-hmm. it's either do this or this place goes away and there's no coming back from this. I I love the concept of a person who is not chosen for a destiny. Like they're not preordained. They just happen to be in the right or wrong place at the right time. Okay. What, what does rebel get us? So rebelling changes. Uh, so contr- if we accept it, it apps our control, which is good for piloting. And it adds a plus one to reason. If we rebel, uh, it adds plus two to insight and plus one to daring. I kind of like the idea that they've always been a little bit rebellious. Mm-hmm. Like their parents were researchers and they were on this ship, but they always were more drawn to the pilot seat. Mm-hmm. And they never really under, like it was the classic of like, oh, my parents don't understand me. And after seeing what their parents' perspective on them was, like, knowing that their parent, like, didn't really fully understand them, but still, like, loves and Tried. accepted them, and, mm-hmm. was yeah. and like, they were always trying, like, makes them look back on it with different eyes. Okay. So we're thinking accept? I think so. Okay. Um, and then we get to choose another point to go into a discipline. So, again, con, engineering, medicine, and science. 
what are we thinking their parents did? Because I think it'd be interesting for whatever they picked up in their discipline here to mirror more what their parent kind of did. Almost as a byproduct of getting the symbiote in that knowledge. Yes. Um, maybe their parent was a little bit more of an engineer. Yeah. I'm okay with that, yeah. We can dip into that. They're like, kid, mm-hmm. why do you want to go into the pilot seat? And they're like, but like... <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, they still want to go into the pilot's into like through that pilot track after they get the symbiote that hasn't changed because of course it doesn't change who they are Mm -hmm. they just now have more understanding like i love the idea that the symbiote has so many memories it almost grants you multiple perspectives it does um it actually it's a lifetime of experiences yeah but that doesn't and that doesn't change who you are person like the doctor but the doctor could remember their past lives better (laughs) Yeah, it's, it doesn't change who you are as a person. It just gives you more information to base decisions off exactly. of. Exactly. Yeah. Informed decision. So we get a new talent at this point as well. What do we want this talent to be a reflection of? Do we want it to be a reflection on the fact that they are a pilot? Do we want it to be a reflection on the fact that they got a little bit of engineering knowledge from their parent? What are we thinking here? Okay, I'm seeing... So I'm seeing there's like bold, cautious collaboration... With bold, you can buy more d20s to get ch- better chances at success by giving your GM threat. The on the rebel one, it said that the 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 thing that increased by one was daring. Mm-hmm. Kind of like if they were like still like kind of rebellious, maybe their talent was more like a bold engineering. You know what I kind of like is that they they are and always have been fairly independent mm-hmm. but by getting these multiple perspectives they by understanding better how other people think because they literally now have other people's minds inside them they become better collaborators okay so collaborative engineering do you think yeah i'm not sure which uh what decides which of the secondary part of collaboration we would take anita because i see that we've got collaboration for command for con for engineering Mm -hmm. medicine science and security so we determined that the parent was an engineer and that got passed on to them um but they also always wanted to be a pilot and maybe there was someone that taught them a little bit about that and that's why maybe collaboration on the con but here's the thing about collaboration is whenever an ally attempts a task using con you may spend one momentum to allow them to use this, your score for that discipline. Maybe engineering, because it's another reflection on how well they know a ship. All right. And like, they're not the one that is helping. They're like, hey, my parents' memory. Like, here you go. Like, this is mm-hmm. my parents' engineering skill that I'm now like passing on. Yes. As opposed to like literally this person being like, ah, yes, it is I, me, the character. But it's like, ah, yes, it is them. My parent, also me. (laughs) So now we get to choose a focus. And a focus is something that uh, reflects what your favorite field of study or inquiry was. Um, And again, uh, your focus is, remember when I mentioned earlier that uh, it makes it so that you can crit on the number that is related to your discipline? That is what a focus is. I kind of like one of the suggestions that I'm seeing here is kind of a marriage between piloting and engineering actually mm-hmm. astronavigation astronavigation is one of them but i was looking at warp field dynamics oh we can do warp field dynamics absolutely what is warp field dynamics i don't know what that is here's the thing it's 
Star Trek, so there's going to be a lot of techno babble that doesn't necessarily make sense. Warp field dynamics uh, would probably be uh, the way that the warp field around the ship interacts with the space around it so that you can go to warp. It's basically your propulsion. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> we could also do something out of their like propulsion systems mm -hmm. instead of warp field dynamics. Do all ships in Star Trek have warp capabilities? Uh, most of them do, because it's how they get along right now. Because every ship needs to be able to travel at high warp, otherwise it's going to take you a really long time. So unless you're piloting uh, Space Seed, uh, which is a cryo ship, a generational ship, you're going to have a warp field. Generally, you're going to have a warp core that uh, runs on dilithium or some sort of similar crystal. Warp field makes sense to me. Warp field dynamics. That seems like a pretty con a constant through multiple ships then yes absolutely and not just like because then a propulsion system could change i don't know ships that well uh, sure let's do warp field dynamics you're right okay so here's the questions the years spent at starfleet academy are some of the most memorable and definitive in an officer's life shaping the direction of their career going forwards for those who pass the grueling entrance examinations the academy takes four years covering a mix of intensive training academic studies practical experiences much of this takes place within the main Starfleet Academy campus on San Francisco and Earth, but other campuses and annexes exist across the Federation, and a cadet may spend the time at any of these before they graduate. Alternatively, you might choose to be an enlisted officer, which is a non-commissioned officer. Uh, generally, you can only go up to a certain rank with that. But do we want to be an officer or do we want to be someone who's enlisted? I think an officer would be interesting because it implies a level of choice being made to enter Starfleet. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the first time they ever decided to go planetside, the first time they ever saw a sky above their head that wasn't like otherwise generated is when they went to the academy on Earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll select officer track. So we're thinking command, operations, or sciences. Uh, if we're thinking a pilot, uh, we would go command. Or engineering, we'd go operations. I think they're still themselves. They're still a pilot at heart. So I think we're probably going con, so it's command. So here's the thing. Now we can choose attributes, up to three of them. Currently, our stats are as follows. Control is at 11, daring is at a 7, fitness is at a 7, insight is at a 7, presence is at an 8, and reason is at a 9. So we get three points that we can distribute into these stats as we say fit. If we want, we can just bump control up to a 12. I think so. So that way it's, it's capped out, it's maxed. What other skills lend themselves well to a pilot? Um, well, if you want to be a little bit more of a bad boy, dangerous pilot, Top Gun style, you'd go with Daring. Um, if you want to be someone who's a little bit more cautious and able to plot a safe course, uh, you would go Insight or Reason. I think Insight also makes sense for a character who can now read people better because they have literally multiple people inside them. Okay. So do we want to do two points into uh, Insight? I think so. So one point that in Control, sense. two more points into Insight, we're thinking. And then our majors, we're going to go with con, obviously. Mm -hmm. Other disciplines, engineering. I think so. And then we get to pick one more discipline, correct? Command? You can go command track. Uh, and if you decide that, if we decide that this character would like to be a little bit more of a commanding person or security, if they want to learn how to fire a phaser. I'm wondering about, because their physiology must be so interesting, considering that they have now a symbiote. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if they take the time to learn more about medicine because there's the, always the knowledge for them that like, I might have to walk someone through 
how to perform surgery to remove this from me and put it in someone else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like happened to me. Or like I go planet side and I start having reactions, being able to quickly assess myself medically. You need to be able to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And understand what's happening to yourself. Yeah. And be like, no, I'm tr I'm a joint trill. This is like going to get funky. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, this this person absolutely has so many allergies for things that they've never even encountered. Like, this person has a pollen allergy. It makes their spots itch. This person went through like in Starfleet went through like they're studying. They studied like every like disease that you could possibly pick up. They just spent like their entire first year on WebMD. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then they just have this huge sheet that they just roll out. They're like, I can't have this. I can't have this. I can't have this. Uh, make sure you don't put me in contact with this. I can kind of be in the room with this. And then everyone's just like, oh my God, relax. Mm -hmm. They have a medical bracelet that kind of like has a little like button that like makes a list. <laughs> yeah. They just like put it over the counter and they're like this. Give me mm -hmm. food that doesn't include these things. And they're like, here's a sludge pile. Thank you. <laughs> Here is a slice of bread. Does this have gluten in it? Yes. Here's a glass of water. Here's a glass of water. <laughs> and a vitamin. And a vitamin. We get to select three focuses for the character. At least one of them needs to reflect the time at Starfleet Academy. Um, so, for example, because we've decided that uh, we want them to know more about their uh, symbiont, we can uh, go, uh, as a focus, we could do uh, Trill Symbionts. We can choose two other focuses. Uh, so maybe Aster Navigation. I think so. Evasive action also kind of that is sticking out to me, but I'm not, like, set on it. No, I like that, because, like, before the Academy, they were, like, oh, like, just piloting a starship. And then when they went to the Academy, it's like, oh, here's how to pilot a starship in combat. You might get into danger. Here is how you fix that. Here's how you pilot a smaller starship. And they're like, ooh, it goes fast. <laughs> they're like, ooh, I go zoom now. Warp core go burr. <laughs> I can flip the ship around. They're just like, <laughs> on top of WebMD, they just did barrel rolls. Like, <laughs> all the time. Everyone on their crew just hated them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, so we've also got another talent that we get to choose at this point, too. I was thinking flyby. Yeah. Whenever you use the, the swift task momentum spend, um, you do not increase the difficulty of the second task if one of the tasks is you attempting to fly a pilot or a vehicle. I like that. But there's... Also, precise evasion. Whenever you exceed at the evasive action task, you may spend two momentum. If you do, the ship does not suffer increased difficulty for attacks normally caused by evasive action. Hmm. Well, there's also starship expert. So, oh. like, this person grew up on a certain kind of starship, but they probably saw lots when they were younger, because that was... They never went planet side. They only ever, like, went in between different starships, and they went to Starfleet Academy and learned even more. Okay, or yeah. Or just came to their starship, like, you know, like, you send, like, the little envoy thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're, like, just poking out the window, like, that one's a blah, 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 and that one's a blah, blah, blah. So, like, they've gotten very good over the years, but especially during their time at the Academy, of, like, getting to know a ship very quickly. It's like those little kids yeah. that can name every dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we get to choose a value. A single value that will reflect some of their beliefs that developed during their time there, during the Academy. Diseases are terrifying. <laughs> oh, we can do that. We can make them a hypochondriac. I, I'd, like, low-key kind of want to make them yeah. a hypochondriac. Who, like, Absolutely will we can. We're leaning into the core and inspiration. 
wasn't there also the pilot in Mass Effect who had like brittle bone disease and so he like always yeah. stayed on the ship? Like that's also what I'm thinking. He never left the ship because he could only pilot. He's like, I'm not going out there. There's too many things that could hurt me out there. In here, I'm fine. I am the ship. Yeah. I think like kind of laying into that like hypochondriac. Okay. Because they have, there's probably a very good reason why they like are like, yeah, these mm-hmm. things can kill me. It's a not completely unbased fear. Yeah, ships are sterile. Planets are disgusting. <laughs> planets are gross. Gotcha. Ships are sterile. Planets are gross. Uh, maybe safe and sterile? Ships are safe. Planets are not. Ships are safe. Planets are not. Because also, like, I feel like they do feel a lot more comfortable in a ship. They feel like they have their bearings. And when you're on a planet, I mean, imagine not just having a sky. Imagine having a horizon for the first time in your life. And, like, living in San Francisco and looking out over the harbor for the first time ever. Yeah, planets are probably terrifying to this person. Breathing air that's not recycled and not gone through environmental filters. How terrifying is that? Weather. 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 Rain? What the hell? Also, just there's no control on who comes into your space and who doesn't. Because, like, on a ship, you can know who's coming onto your ship or not, with very few exceptions. You don't know who's in your in your space or not on a planet mm-hmm. that's like billions of people that you can't cycle through and know like oh this person's gonna stab me or oh this person is like da 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 yeah you don't know them actual strangers ships are safe planets are not mm-hmm. yeah. I like this nervous bean that we're making <laughs> this nervous pilot bean I love it the the thing that I was told when I was making my first. Uh, character for a space themed TTRPG was you need three people on a ship. You need a person who can fly the ship, a person who can fix the ship, and a person to fix the other two people. That's true. Those <laughs> are the three roles that you need. I like that this is a person who's going to need fixing. Yes, more than one way. I think that a, if I was running a game with this character, a good plot hook for them would be that they would be stuck on a planet, like either through some sort of accident or something, where they would have to challenge that value. Imagine them going to the Trill home planet. They might have had to, is the thing, is that as a joined Trill, they might have had to check in with the Symbiosis Commission. And maybe that also colored their experiences. You ever think, like, what happens if your ship crashes? It's just, like, unviable at that time to stay on the ship or dangerous to do so. And now they're forced to leave. The only thing that they're, like, stay... I'm imagining that this character, even while at Starfleet Academy probably would sneak onto like the one ship that they're like this is likely that like this is gonna be this is gonna be my ship I, I work on this ship just like snuck in and slept on the ship and just like would like run around the ship anytime that they were in the ship with like other people people would just like turn their head away quickly and then look back and they were gone because they're already like crawling in the vents or whatever perfect deep fear <laughs> concern we get to select the career of this person at this point. So we get to choose a young officer, an experienced officer, or a veteran officer. How baby is this baby? So between young officer, experienced officer, and veteran officer, I like the idea of an experienced officer. They, they've, they've been around the block a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Like they've been not just on a ship, but a part of Starfleet for a while now. Yep. But, like, they still have their things they're working through. Exactly. I agree mm-hmm. with that. So we'll go experienced officer. Um, we can just choose a value at this point. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything really related. It could be something related to their personality. Uh, it doesn't have to be related to any sort of experience that they've had or how they were raised or anything like that. Just something they believe in. I, you know what? I really like a character who is so 
tied and connected with other people to really strongly believe in personal freedom. I think that that would be interesting. Oh. Like, they care so deeply about choices. Why not, I'm only free when I'm flying? Oh, yes. I feel like, you know, everything that they do is just so tied with other people. Yeah, flying not only lets them, like, be free, but also is still kind of a way to connect with lots of people, just Mm -hmm. where they are actually at the at the front being able to call the shots so to speak it's a feeling of control i think yeah and i think especially during the early years of their symbionts when they were getting used to having all of these memories that weren't their own that piloting is the one thing that reminds them that they are an individual they are themselves at some point trills do undergo a ceremony where they meet all their past selves um, they actually have friends or family members come and they there's a ritual that makes it so that they can reenact or be the people that came before them. So they actually get to meet those people. So it's like at one point that, yeah, that character reconnected with their parent that passed. Oh. I imagine they also passed away while they were young, too. So they didn't like their own personal memories of their parent are fuzzy because like when you especially over time and like depending on how they died or the last mm-hmm. few memories like to get super depressing when my memories of my father kind of scant mm-hmm. right but like i remember him as someone who had a bit of a temper but everyone else i who know who knew him tells me he was always a very happy person and what made him more angry and temperamental was like chemotherapy and so but like that's my association can you imagine what that oh yeah being able to finally meet the person that everyone has told you about that you've never gotten to know but you have gotten to know them because you maybe don't remember your own memories of them but you remember their memories Mm -hmm. and their memories of you you remember their memories of you specifically you understand them on a level that a child could never understand a parent but you don't know them Mm -hmm. and then you finally get to meet them oh like meeting a stranger that you know you're supposed to know and that you have all these like recollections of and know that they interacted with you, but they're still like, it's it'd be just like looking at someone like 30 generations back. Like they you don't know them. They have no personal connection to you. Mm-hmm. But like, it's this weird disconnect. Maybe we should change this value. Maybe we should change it from I'm only free when I'm flying to I'm most myself when I'm flying. Yeah. I like that. Because, I don't know, something to me about thinking about familial obligation and obligation to species and obligation to history with characters always makes me want to consider what makes the character an individual. And that is what this character, like, that is this character's thing. That is what makes them feel whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a dynamic I can relate to. (laughs) Did you make these choices by yourself when everyone is already expecting you to make these choices? Mm-hmm. And like you're you're expected to make these choices. Did you choose to make them yourself, or was it always just assumed that you would make that choice regardless? Especially if the parent died when they were young, they've had this symbiont like through their entire development, yeah, into a person. So you have to they ha- they probably are constantly questioning how much of me is because of this thing, and mm-hmm. how much of me is me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like <laughs> spoilers for Steven Universe. <laughs> That's like the tagline for this episode is spoiler alert for X thing, (laughs) regardless of age. But spoiler alert for Steven Universe, how much of Steven is himself and how much is his mother who became him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
How much of Steven is Steven and how much of Steven is Rose Quartz? You know, like, ah, just, I love those questions. Built-in character introspection and drama and development that gets to happen just because this character exists Mm -hmm. over the course of a game. How conscious are things like picking up, like, can pick up habits from your old life? It happens a lot. Can you imagine, like, their other parent, like, their kid is, like, starting to, like, do things, and then they just, like, to, like, bring up my dad again. My dad used to chew his tongue while he was thinking, and so it would make this, like, very distinctive, like, squeaking noise. Can you imagine if they had, their parent had something like that, that they had not experienced that much, but their other parent had a lifetime with them, and they just hear that, and they're like, what is <laughs> Maybe that's one of the reasons our character went to this academy in the first place, because it they could tell it was getting so hard for their a living parent to watch the things they love about their partner in their child. There's actually rules that Trill follow that you cannot pick up a relationship with a Trill that you knew in your past life. Ooh, so that's that's interesting and hard when you have a parent-child relationship. If you had a romantic relationship with another Trill, when you get a new body, you cannot pick up with that same symbiont. Because this is a new person. This is a new person. And you cannot keep fulfilling your past mistakes. You can't keep, you can't live together forever. It's, that's not how this works. You have to move on. The world continues to turn. Our character probably saw, like, that was so hard on their parent. And they were like, I'm going to remove myself from the equation. I love you on more levels than you will ever know. And that's why I'm leaving. Yes. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine, too, like, after after that surgery, now that symbiote, like, three trails now turned into two. And, like, that parent now just, like, maybe not out of, like, conscious decision, but, like, always kind of hovering around like their child like flying is when they can like because they're like i need to go test pilot this thing only me bye like (laughs) that's when they can go and be like no i'm by myself i'm not feeling my parent watching me looking for maybe not consciously maybe breaking rules doing so but looking for the habits that carried over from the person before struggling to try and see them even though they know that they can't we get another talent I was thinking, we made a real sad character. We made a tragic backstory on this person. I'm actually thinking, just to lean into it a little bit more, Mm -hmm. I was looking at personal effects. Oh, shit. Yeah. They have something from their dead parent that, like, almost like, now I'm thinking about Fallen Order uh, video game, Jedi Fallen Order, Mm -hmm. and having like an echo of a memory around an item and like so this character like has an item from their parents past that is like still so like they know how to use it still and it says that it's an uncommon item or device which is not starfleet standard issue but nevertheless useful for missions my guess is maybe it's an maybe it's their engineer toolkit Mm -hmm. because it's not Mm -hmm. a standard issue toolkit i think absolutely yeah okay we can do that because I was thinking, like, wedding ring. <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, your oh. object you carry over is your parents' like wedding band, but it's yours. Yeah. The example that they use in the book, because there's an illustration of it, is there is a human Starfleet officer running down the halls with a fucking batleth, <laughs> which is like the big Klingon blade with the two ends and the spikes. Oh, oh. I like though the idea that it's like 
a non-standard issue, like an engineering kit that would be common for like someone who is trill to have, but not someone who's... Or someone who grew up on a different ship, different kind of ship. Like the tools were all like... You know, like when people start using like certain objects over time, you can see where the grooves, where their yeah. hands sort of held it. Maybe it's like something like that. Like they always like their wrist couldn't turn all the way to the right. So like it's the screwdrivers bent a little bit so that it could twist like that. It's like something like that. Exactly. So it's just like mm -hmm. these tools are a little tweaked. It has like just it's just at the bent at the right angle for this specific purpose. God, can you imagine someone else trying to use their toolkit like for the first like for the first time, someone else besides our character tries to use that toolkit, and they're like, oh, your screwdriver's bent the wrong way. Like, no, you know, it's just slightly this? different, and they're like, never realized it. When the unconscious habits they picked up from their predecessors, like, they just always turned it this way, or they always, like... Yeah. Oh, I was right-handed before I was joined, and now I'm left? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now they're just ambidextrous. Um, I imagine that everyone who was joined is probably ambidextrous. Oh, Probably. Probably. Also, my can is, is that everybody who is joined is uh, is bisexual to a certain extent or another. I can't imagine this person not being non-binary and bisexual. I cannot imagine that. Can confirm, probably. Because, like, if you have, like, to, to set aside that conversation of identity of, like, who this person is individually, once you understand that variety of perspectives, how can you not, like, how does that expansion not happen if it didn't already exist, you know? This person, at the very least, uses any pronouns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Career event, huh? Yes. This is a... a career <laughs> event. And this does uh, add to your attribute and to your discipline. And these are things that happened during our career at Starfleet. It's Starfleet, yes. I had a, I had a thought flash through. I, like, I'm, I'm seeing things, I'm like, ah, oh, this would be funny, or, like, this would kind of fit, or, like, this would be interesting like dealing with a plague like <laughs> or a character who is like a hypochondriac would be interesting or calling out a superior mm -hmm. knowing someone who has past lives experience seeing a superior do something that they know in their past life either one of them did or watched someone else do and they know what would likely happen they're like no you shouldn't do that that's stupid and they're like mm -hmm. i just called out like a starfleet commander you want to call out a commander called a superior i i like calling out a superior yeah okay especially maybe maybe our character is the first to go into starfleet and really work closely with people outside the trail yes or outside their shipmates mm -hmm. and like oh wow this is completely different you mean you can't just do that <laughs> mm -hmm. what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean all all their life they have been one of the people around who has the most knowledge regardless of their relative juniorness mm -hmm. so they have been listened to mm -hmm. and that doesn't happen as much when they join starfleet who is the superior what did they ask the character to do how does that character feel now what are the repercussions and are the details of this on record and was the character right that's my favorite part about this is it actually makes you get into it because it all it bakes the backstory into your character when you build it that's why i love this system so much I think our character, like, to start from the end, I want our character to be right. Yes. Yes. They have the experience of generations of lifetimes before them. They're going to be, they're probably going to be right. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, are the details of the events on record? Yes. I think, I like that they got disciplined for it. They got disciplined yeah. for it. But they weren't wrong, but they, they spoke out of line and they it's on their permanent record now. 
how serious do you think the situation was? Because I think that would change how, right, how they were disciplined and how the superior reacted at the time. Because if it was also, because if it was a life or death situation, like the this character probably was like, didn't explain what they were doing, just was like, no, we're doing it this way and probably had to do mm-hmm. something very quickly. And that would also probably be a stressful moment, right? Like, I kind of also like the idea that it's their first real mission. Mm-hmm. Because up until now, it's all been theoretical. And now they're on their first real mission. They actually have to follow chain of command. Mm-hmm. And this is their lesson in like, oh, this is not the way that I'm used to doing things. Chain of command exists and is real here. So for focus, because we have to choose a focus at the end of this, do we want to choose chain of command as the focus? Maybe Starfleet Protocol. Yeah, Starfleet Protocol, because they're like, I have to know, this is not knowledge that I can get from my past lives. This is something new that I have to learn. Mm-hmm. It's like my past lives were engineers and artists and diplomats and scientists. I've never done this. Yeah. And also, I'm assuming in troll society, it's like if you are blessed with a symbiont, then you are listened to more, even if you are younger. Mm -hmm. because you have all this experience and so it's like yes i'm also thinking maybe on the ship like you're the parent was an engineer right Mm -hmm. maybe it was the chief engineer on the ship yeah oh i like that so it's not their captain directly it's not a direct superior well the the parent was the chief like what's this pilot doing in engineering and why are they just fixing things yeah Mm -hmm. they know this is not their department why are they here yeah and then maybe their home ship didn't have like a strict hierarchy almost certainly it didn't this to them is like normal they're literally like piloting they hear like like a crunch and they're like oh i know what that is and they just like leave and everyone's like what you helped out where you weren't needed and you disrespected a superior officer Mm -hmm. in the process i think not only that but like you you abandoned your post you abandoned a job on the con you are to do you were flying the ship and you left your post to fix something in engineering. And they're like pulling out wires and just like 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 mm-hmm. bolt, like stripping wires randomly to them and like tying them together. Like, this will make it way more efficient. And they're like, you need to stop. And they're like, no, you need to stop. You don't understand the ship like I do. And they're like, relax yourself. Like <laughs> we get another career event after this. Okay, so this is like, this is the early on, because this was in their first real assignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was on their first real assignment. (laughs) Solved an engineering crisis. (laughs) I mean, we can do two for one with this. Yeah. I, you know what I kind of like the idea of is a special commendation. Like, not only did they solve a crisis, but they were, like, essential in saving lives aboard the ship to lean back into, our, like, our very first value of, like, this ship is my home. I am responsible for protecting everyone who's on it. That, like, they went above and beyond to do that. They called out a superior and then they got commendation for it. <laughs> it's like, okay, you fucked up. This is going on your permanent record. That you did this and you betrayed your officer and you abandoned your post. <sighs> as much as I hate to do this, you saved the ship though, so here's a commendation. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Because <laughs> would that enable this person to think, oh yeah, I did what's right? <laughs> I think they probably learned a little bit more about diplomacy in that moment. Like they learned a little bit more how to mask 
what they are doing so that it's more acceptable to people who don't understand the trill. Would that be a command then? Like you're learning how to work with people and direct them? Or just engineering, do we think? I think they probably got commended for their engineering. Okay. I agree. But uh, we got to focus for it. Uh, do we want to do jerry-rigging? I think jerry-rigging is funny. All right. Improvised repairs? Improvised repairs? Sure. And I'm sure that, like, going back through and filling in the backstory with more techno babble. Yes. To be like, the blah blah The intermix chamber on the warp core was shot, so we had to bypass the secondary coupling to uh, reroute power into the forward nacelle. There is actually a techno babble chart in this game that you can roll dice on and get appropriate techno babble. Um, there is uh, a website, technobabble.biz, where you can just get Star Trek techno babble. Nice. And it's great, and I love it. So here is the question now. This is the finishing touches, um, because we probably have additional attribute points that just need to be distributed elsewhere. We get two more attribute points that can go anywhere we want, with the exception of control, because that's already at a 12. And I don't think you can have more than two stats of, at a 12, so... So you can't boost up reason to 12? No. I kind of want to boost Insight one more because I really feel like that is one of their main strengths. Do we want Daring? I was thinking Daring because mm-hmm. that like someone who's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go do this real quick. And everyone's like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we get two points that we can throw into Disciplines. I was going to say earlier, you know that scene in The Martian um, where they're like, oh, we need to get uh, Watney home, right? But how do we launch him into this? Like, they're like, how do we jerry-rig this old, defunct rocket to launch him into space? And they're like, we're going to strip this thing of everything, and you're going to tie a parachute to the top of it. And that will break the wind. Spoiler alert for the Martian. Spoiler for the Martian. Spoiler alert for the Martian. <laughs> but, but like, you know, like, they do something like that, where they're like, the science shows you that you can that you can do this, and it'll work. Mm. And I, can you imagine that some part of the starship breaks, and they're, like, duct-taping a parachute to the mm-hmm. inside They're like what are you doing he's like no no the science it works <laughs> i also like maybe one more in command because they're becoming more comfortable in this new social setting and they're understanding better how to operate within it and i feel like that more than anything leans itself into command so science and command we're thinking i think so which means the only thing that we haven't bumped at all is security yeah eh. they're not which makes sense yeah. They're not a fighter, they're a flyer. Um, now, the character receives a final value. This might reflect the career events rolled in step six, or it may represent some other element of the character. This value might be a relationship connecting the character to another character of the crew, or another organization or culture in some way. I'm wondering if we can make the value, like, hierarchy is, like, not that important. Because, like, thinking about someone who called out superior... Better to ask forgiveness than permission? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone who got who called out their superior and then got commended for it probably is like, I know this will work out in the long run. I've got 30 generations worth of memories to prove that what I did ultimately was the right thing. And that if I mm-hmm. make decisions like this in the future, it's going to be the right decision. They've learned from the experience, how do I smooth this over better? Yes. <laughs> Not how do I stop doing it? How do I do it and get away with it? Mm-hmm. So better to ask forgiveness than permission? I think so. Now, we get to choose a name for our character. Uh, trill names have a personal name and a family name, and if they are joined, the family name gets replaced by the name of the symbiont. 
Oh, that's so interesting. So they had a family name that was neither of their parents. And then they took on the symbiote name that their dead parent had. Mm -hmm. So for example, in uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, you have Jadzia Dax, um, who is has the Dax symbiote. Prior to Jadzia, it was Curzon Dax. And then, spoiler alert for DS9, because that's where we're going this entire episode, is uh, Jadzia ends up dying and the symbiont gets passed to another uh, trill named Ezri. So it's Ezri Dax. I'm looking at the suggested names because I don't know that much about the trill, so I don't know enough to make a name that sounds like a trill name. I like Emony. I think that Emony sounds nice. Yeah. I think that I like the idea that it's similar enough sounding like the family name sounds somewhat similar to the symbiont name so it was kind of especially because they didn't plan to be a symbiont that was not expected for them but it was kind of rough for them to make that transition in the beginning there's troll and there's lol i'm seeing there's a family name troll and then the last one the symbiont name is lol those seem closest sounding to me anyways um we could also just make one uh so uh emony nix the Nyx symbiont. I like that. Which is just literally me looking at the uh, notes that are on the board that's above me. And I saw a note that Punkle Nyx had written me. So there you go. <laughs> Shout out to Punkle Nyx. You know, only because Nyx makes me think of Greek gods and uh, Knight. Is Nox. Uh, well, I, I was actually thinking um, the family name could be Styx. Oh, nice. Yeah, we could do that. The river Styx is the border between who you were in this new phase in your life. So they were Emony Sticks and now they're Emony Nicks. So now we get to choose our assignment, which I think we're doing flight controller, right? That's what we're going with? Yep. Yeah. Not a typical senior staff role. Some captains, particularly those operating in uncharted space, choose the most senior helmsman or flight control officer to serve in their senior staff as well. And we get to choose the rank of our officer. We can choose up to a commander. Maybe lieutenant commander. They keep like... They're a little too off the beaten path to have followed the typical, like, rank promotion. Yes. So maybe even a lieutenant. Yeah. It's like, you have years of experience. You are the best at this. Why are you not at least a commander of your own starship yet? And then you hear, like, this beeping, and they're immediate. they're gone. Like, they, you, you don't even see them leave. They're already in, they're, like, crawling into a bench. And it's like... I think to someone who, like, someone who has all those memories and perspectives that rank wouldn't actually matter to them that, like, achieving rank would not matter to them. Mm -hmm. No. They just want to be able to do the things that they can do without mm -hmm. people really questioning why they're doing them. Exactly. <laughs> I think Lieutenant kind of is, is that kind of, like, middle point of, like, you're not new, but you're also not in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Agree. Because... I, this chaos character would probably be like, if they were a commander, their poor lieutenant commander would be like, like have a GPS tracker on, their, on this character so that they know where they are. You know that they're not leaving the ship, though. Yeah, hmm? so it's like, they just know, they need a tracker to know where are they on the ship. The ship. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just like, okay, um, and they just like open this like panel and like there's this character just like twisted and wired just going, like I, I found the source of the beeping. All right. With that, we have a character. Emony Nix, the Trill Flight Controller. A lieutenant. Thanks so much for having me, y'all. Thank you so much for being here. It has been so much fun deep diving into space lore with you. Aw, I'm happy too. 
if our listeners want to hear your voice more often, where can they find you? Uh, if you want to hear my voice and see my face uh, more often, you can find me over on the Critical Misses channel, uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays uh, for games throughout the week. Our next season is coming up shortly, and if you have pitches for shows, send them over to D. We have a tweet right now that uh, has a pitch form that you can fill out if that's what you want to do. Um, you can find me over on Cobalt Press's channel as well for Into the Southlands, uh, and on the Noir Enigmas channel for Kingsguard, and that uh, starts back up again. That's pretty much me. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anita, for stopping by. And I'm glad that I only messed up Star Trek and Star Wars once this episode. Just the once. We can edit it out in post. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week for another Chaotic Creation. Chaotic Creations is created, produced, and hosted by Harper Hayes and Darby Pack. Editing is by Harper Hayes, and web design is by Darby Pack. Art is by Kiku Hughes, who you can find on Twitter at Kiku Hughes, and the music is by Kevin McLeod. Transcriptions are by AJ Ray. Find him on Twitter at Husha underscore kid. If you like what we do, please support us on patreon.com slash chaoticpod for awesome perks, including bonus content and exclusive access. We are proud partners of Critical Mission an inclusive online TTRPG community streaming on Twitch. Catch our podcast and other fun shows every single day at twitch.tv slash critical misses. If you want to chat with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at chaoticpod. You can also join our Discord server by going to our website, chaoticpod.com, or via our link tree in our Twitter bio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. It helps new listeners to find us. And tell your favorite nerdy friend about us. It's the best way to help us grow. Thanks for listening.